Welcome to Above the Mess, the podcast that follows three creators as we bounce between our interests, dive down rabbit holes, navigate our brains, and come up in Wonderland. I'm Izzy Miller, and with me are Rosemary Orchard and Maddie Van Houten. Hi. Hello. So exciting. We'd love to start today's episode with some follow-up. Maddie, why don't you take it away? Yeah, so our friend Kim, the self-identified dragon who knits scarves and just scarves from our last episode, uh, reached out to talk to me about how we talked about making businesses out of our hobbies. Uh, That's something I talked about, especially. Um, And they said it must be a culture thing because this is something they have never come across in their family or in their culture, which is uh, their Kazakh. They said they, they have never even had the thought cross their mind that, oh, this could be a business about anything they had as a hobby. And I thought that was so interesting because I think I've always thought like that. What about you guys? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's one of these things where for a really long time, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Like, obviously, I, you know, had all these fabulous ideas of I'll, I'll be an air hostess and things like that. And that's the terminology I used as, as uh, a kid and so on. And, you know, they were all very exciting things. And I thought I'd probably end up being a, a languages teacher for a while and so on. But in between all of that, there were also, you know, what things do I enjoy doing? Because one of the things that one of my teachers said to me when I was quite young is you should like your job. Um, and that kind of led me to, you know, well, I like hobbies, so maybe I can, you know, make money out of the hobbies instead. Um, but equally, I would say it's probably among the people I went to school with and the people I know here in the UK, less common to constantly be spinning up side businesses. But I would also say in the last five to 10 years, that has changed a lot. Um, and a lot more people are looking to start their own business with their hobbies, or even if it's not their hobbies, just something that they enjoy been some good and some bad with that, um, which we won't get into today. But, you know, it it is becoming more common to look at things from that perspective. Izzy, what about you? Well, first of all, it is definitely a cultural thing. And it's also something that's been inherently tied to American politics, especially since the 70s um, and the rise of neoliberal policies, where our social safety net in the United States is so tied to employment that, of course, it would make sense that so many of us look to self-employment as a way out of that. Um, And so without making any judgment call on, on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I will just note that we do absolutely do that. And that there's a pretty clear connection between neoliberal economic policies and that sort of cultural goal setting where individual business ownership is idealized over other things. I think that probably also comes from even even further back the whole American dream, pick yourself up by your bootstraps sort of thing. Like you can be anything you want as long as you're trying, which actually kind of leads into our next bit of follow-up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, You dropped a little bit of a bombshell on us before the show there, Izzy. Um, and uh, we're going to come back to that in a moment because I really want to get into that because that really stuck with me. But before we do that, um, we also had some feedback from TM who sent us uh, a message and said, um, you know, for for a little bit of context, the Japanese cultural uh, expectation of mastery isn't actually direct, but it comes from the fact that perseverance is Japan's culture's most admired trait. Um, and um, 
essentially the losing is not great, but it's okay as long as you've actually persevered. Um, and I thought that this was really interesting. And, and TM gave a little bit more context um, with um, the the film, if anybody's seen it on Netflix, Zero Dreams of Sushi, where the apprentice tries for over a year to make an omelet up to the master's standards. And I both love this and I also hate this because I don't ever want to spend a year trying to do exactly the same thing over and over and over again, only to be told it's not good enough, um, which for me is definitely something. But also, I don't know how it uh, conflates with your experiences, because obviously, you two are American, um, but also different people. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think in, in America, we do I, idealize mastery in a different way. Like uh, TM said that it's, you know, it's you can't fail type of mastery. You've got to practice and practice and practice so nobody ever sees you fall down. And I also could not spend a year making the same omelet over and over and over again. So I don't get this. It just doesn't click for me. <laughs> I do do understand, you know, the the idea behind it, but also I feel like at some point th- there's a difference between persevering, perhaps, and then doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, and and this is something uh, that um, is is said often um, about something I've completely forgotten what it is now. Doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. Um, Either you're a scientist looking to validate your results or you're a programmer looking for a bug um, that's inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, for for me, that would certainly be a trial. I can imagine for some things it's worth it, but I don't think it would be worth it for an omelet for me personally. Is it? The kind of mastery involved in highly skilled work is so different from the kind of mastery that we apply in knowledge work so often today, where when, say, a cabinet maker is sawing a piece of wood by hand and they're bringing to bear 10 years of experience sawing wood, and they can end up with a board that is perfectly square away from the saw with only a mark of where to start the cut is such a different space than a more modern shop layout of using jigs and machines to achieve that same level of perfection. The skill and mastery is so different in different contexts. And us, as people who, um, dare I say, jump between a few different things sometimes, I think find ourselves more often in that problem-solving space of mastery where that skill that we're repeatedly bringing to bear is looking at a new situation, figuring out, okay, what's the way through it? And even then, like that framing frames situations as problems to work through, which itself isn't always the case. Like sometimes it's just to appreciate the experience of sawing through wood. Yeah. That's a good point. And, uh, I suppose I shouldn't say that I wouldn't spend a year making the same omelet because I was thinking about this just a little bit more. I think this type of mastery, this um, perseverance mastery can be applied to things like things like cooking really well. Like um, I'm thinking of uh, the mother sauces and making a roux. You know, the first time I made um, a roux, which is just, it's just melted butter and flour. It should be easy. Um, it really should be, but it's not. 
the first time I burned the butter and then the the roux came out like crumbly and tasting like oats, even though I was using wheat flour. Very strange, right? Uh, the next time it came out too watery, nothing, no, the sauce never reached the right consistency, all of that. You know, after making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds every time I make, you know, mac and cheese or Alfredo or whatever, I know the exact moment to toss the flour in the pot. And it's a kind of it's a kind of mastery in which you develop an instinct. And I think that is definitely something that I value without thinking of it as mastery in a way. Um, so yeah, TM, this is this was a very good this is a very good look into a different culture, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of these things where I think, you know, it, it, the way we perceive things always changes. And that's been proven by the fact that Kim and TM both wrote in with very different viewpoints from their own life experiences here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We really appreciate getting all y'all's follow-up. So please continue um, sending us your thoughts about the show. Um, before we get into our main topic today, we'd like to spend just a moment going around the room and checking in. Um, Rose foreshadowed it a bit earlier, but I, I mentioned to these two right before we hopped on the show that I've been thinking about getting rid of my TV again. Hang on a second. You did not say again before the show. Yeah. When did you get rid of your TV? You buried the lead. What? Well, we have to have <laughs> something to talk about on the show, right? No. So I <laughs> I only got a TV two years ago when my partner moved in. Okay. We decided, especially with this was right as the pandemic was starting, fortunately, right before everything got hard to get due to the pandemic, um, and we got a TV, which was really good timing for that. But recently, we've noticed that it does feel like it takes up an awful lot of our living space for the amount we get out of it. Yeah, yeah, I get that, especially in most homes where you don't have enough space to necessarily hide your TV. And if you want to be able to watch it comfortably, you kind of have to focus your furniture around it, which means you sit down to read a book and you're looking at a television. And even though you're holding a book, you might be curled up sideways on a sofa, you can still see the TV out of the corner of your eye. That does absolutely make sense to me to an extent. It kind of reminds me, uh, Rose, what you just said reminds me of a scene from my favorite TV show, despite its faults in the 21st century. Friends, Joey asks someone who tells tells him he they don't have a TV. He goes, what is all your furniture pointing at? And I just, I cackle at that every time because the TV has become such a big part of the American home, yeah. like in a weird way. And not only of the home, but of our time. Mm -hmm. I watch an, in like a very large amount of TV without thinking about it. So is that weighing in on your decision, Izzy? It is, but perhaps not as much as you might expect. I think we're still planning to watch stuff together, even if we do it. And that's one of the things we're trying to figure out is if we got rid of the TV, how would we watch stuff together? That was mm -hmm. the original impetus for getting one was that a 13 inch MacBook is perfectly fine for watching stuff alone, but it's a little bit cramped. With a second person. Right. Mm -hmm. I know, um, I'm going to say, I know that uh, fellow podcaster CGP Gray and his wife have like an iMac that they use as a TV. <laughs> That's not a 13-inch MacBook, but it is 
smaller than a TV. Yeah, there are also these mini projectors nowadays, which if you have the right wall space could be used relatively easily. But of course, that Mm -hmm. is, you know, a a not so multi-purpose device, but it is also portable, which let's face it, a TV is not portable if you wanted to take it to, say, like, I don't know, a backyard meeting of friends with cocktails and something to watch a film. Every time I look at projectors, I really hope they're going to be finally good enough to be worth spending the amount I'm willing to spend on one. Mm -hmm. But it's been a while since I've looked, so maybe now's the time. That's a good idea to check. I think Anchor have one, actually, uh, of all people. They've got like a Coke can size one or something. Uh, I keep seeing it come up in Amazon sales, so I feel like I should suggest that, if only because I'm aware that it exists. And also because you're queen of enabling us. Just sheer enabling all the time. (laughs) I mean, I I recently ended up with a new TV because right before I was about to go on holiday, uh, I tried to play uh, Mario Kart with some friends, and I turned on the TV, and one of said friends said uh, in the chat, I'm going to throw shells at you, which is something you can do in Mario Kart. You can throw shells at the other players to you know knock them off. Um, it slows their, them down. And that was the point where my TV died. So thank you, Alex. Greatly appreciated. I'm sure you killed my TV. It was 13 years old. It had had a good life. So uh, I did actually invest <laughs> in it. And I've been trying to carefully moderate my television usage, but also it's a little easier because I do live alone. Um, and I don't necessarily spend all that much time in my living room, which means that for me, it does not feel like it is taking up so much space. But equally, if you look at the square footage of my living room and the square footage of the television cabinet, it is taking up a chunk of space. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a thing. But I also have a Nintendo Wii, which I definitely couldn't play without some kind of monitor or screen somewhere. Yeah. And uh Nintendo Switch is portable, but I like it on a screen. Izzy, if you if you do get rid of your television, what will take up the space that it currently occupies? Yeah, um I mean a huge part of this was spawned by trying to create comfortable spaces in my apartment to sit and read. So I thought about lofting the bed, but it turns out that we have some interference issues with the ceiling fan and so that's off the table. And we thought about swapping the room that's currently the bedroom with the room that's currently an office, but it turns out the room that's currently an office is actually too small to fit our bed in it in any reasonable manner. Having doors that open is good. Highly overrated. (laughs) Ideally, it's going to be more comfortable seating where people sit facing each other and where you can curl up and read in a position that's not sitting on the couch or, or just have more options for that kind of gathering. Makes that sense. sounds wonderful. That makes sense. Having a nice spot to read is very important when you're trying to do more reading. Because if there's no good spot to sit, where are you going to read? It's so true. But I think that's enough from me. So, Maddie, um, why don't you share some of your news? Oh, um, nothing big changing on the project front yet. It's been a wild couple of weeks. But between our last recording and this recording... Belle had her first um, training session with um, a company that refers to their trainers as behavioral therapists for dogs. And the attitude shift was like a 180 degree turn. She is less clingy, less um, my attention must always be on Belle, less uh, I need to be outside every second of the day. So um, 
For comparison, she barked a grand total of like four times on our last episode. Um, You can hear her clearly throwing a fit downstairs. And right now she is snoozing in her bed at my feet like an angel. You might hear her snore, but you will not hear her bark. And it's been amazing to have the, the attitude shift so immediately. We just have to continually work on boundaries and teaching her what's right and what's not. And that first day, uh, she learned so much that it just, it changed everything. We were on the verge of, you know, trying to find her a home that could deal with her attitude. And yeah. now we're like uh, making Christmas plans and talking about what we're going to do next year. So that's a good, that's a good thing that happened. Um, yeah. Even if I made zero progress on any projects, that project of Belle being a good dog citizen is 17 million steps closer to being done. So <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've seen you be incredibly frustrated. And it's not that you don't love her. It's just that you were getting to the point where how can you handle her when you already have a dog and you also have to do your job and, you know, yeah. and everything else yeah. that's going on. And it does get to the point where things are really tricky. So I'm really glad she's done 180 there. That is so good. And yeah. Me too. Uh, the fist bump that you did before we recorded. <laughs> So good. You can't tell a dog, not now, I'm working or I'm on a meeting. So being able to tell her, get down, I'll talk to you in five minutes is much better. Do you think your trainer works with cats? I don't know, but I can send you the website if you want. They are a worldwide organization called Barkbusters. Would recommend, to be honest. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. link them in the show notes. If you have a dog that's driving you up a wall, you might want to talk to them. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll give, send you the link, Izzy. Uh, maybe they do have a sister or brother corporation that does cats. What is it? Um, Meow Mysteries? Maybe. <laughs> if not, free business name. Free business name. Yes. But enough about Belle Rose. You have been reviewing all of your systems. Um, started with email and then just went on to systems. Yeah, well... I mean, you you kind of prompted me into that a little bit um, with your <laughs> reviewing all of the things and, oh my gosh, how many systems and wow, okay, well, now there's fewer systems and things things seem to be improving there. I'm pretty excited for you. And I realized that it's getting to the time of year that I should be reviewing stuff and looking back on what's happened and, and so on. And also, I realized that, um, you know, the best laid plans um, when you have an ADHD day don't happen and there was a plan and it probably is like 8,000 miles away from where you actually are right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I figured it was time for me to probably actually do something about that. Not necessarily saying, you know, I am a bad person. And I'm failing at the things. That is not the case. It was more a case of, you know, like, let's look back at my theme of the year, which was actually recalibration. I checked back um, to to make sure I actually stole the name from uh, from Stephen Hackett at one point. And um, going from there and, you know, how are things going and what what is changing and so on and so forth. And where, where do I feel like I'm going and how do I feel like I'm doing? And I've decided that uh, I need to be doing review more often. And so I'm attempting to structure that in right now. I'm trying to do some daily reviews. One thing I've stolen actually from you, Izzy, which you mentioned at some point, is you do a plan every day in like a field notes notebook, or most days, not every day. And that's your plan. And I've I've, I've stolen that 100% wholesale, including the field notes notebook. I haven't actually stolen your field notes notebook, by the way. I'm getting into Texas until recently has been incredibly difficult to impossible uh, for us Brits. But uh, I, I have a stash of field notes notebooks, and that is what I'm doing. I'm planning my day on paper, and then at the end of the day, I review it digitally. 
uh, which separates things out nicely enough that I can't copy paste, but I do include a photo. So uh, yeah, it, it's pretty nice. And uh, it kind of inspired me a little bit with uh, a topic for today. Uh, so uh, I'm going to pass back to you, Izzy. Thanks, Rose. Yeah, with Rose's review and with the end of the year coming up and our own themes for the new year being very present in our minds, we are all, of course, huge fans of the theme system from Cortex. And we've been really thinking quite a bit about time and things like how do we decide on time windows and what do they mean to us? Things like does urgency increase the importance of things or does that urgency work for the better or for the worse? And just overall thinking about how we relate with time. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I don't know if this was a uh, trigger for you all, but when the time change happened and everything got thrown off, that's when I especially felt a little off kilter. Mm -hmm. I always feel off kilter with time changes, but it's kind of for me, when my brain starts thinking, okay, it's nearly the end of the year, we should start thinking about um, resolutions, because I can never make my brain stop thinking about that for some reason, even if I don't use them. And yeah, so themes are definitely coming up for me. But I think we're going to dive into our themes specifically later um, in a different episode, and mostly just focus on how we decide how long a project is going to take and things like that. And uh, Honestly, my relationship to time is that I don't understand how it works, um, really. I <laughs> I can look down at a project and get lost for seven hours and look up and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot to eat. Or a minute can take freaking forever, like when I'm warming up my coffee in the microwave. Yes, I warm my coffee up in the microwave. Don't at me about it. <laughs> yeah, one of the things you said there, um, Maddie, really, um, you know, resonates with me because uh, it turns out we've actually all read the 12 week year. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I took away from the 12 week year is basically people don't accomplish their yearly resolutions because a year is too big. But by changing that to 12 weeks, they do things because they've only got 12 weeks in which to do it. And so they accomplish more than four times as much because guess what? There are four 12-week years in a year. Actually, there are four 13-week uh, blocks in a year. Uh, so you get a week off after every 12-week block uh, if you follow that system, which I somewhat kind of loosely do, but also don't. And I, I like this because also while I have a yearly theme, I noticed that actually Izzy doesn't just have a yearly theme. She also has chapters. And Maddie, you're doing seasons. And so clearly, you know, we all view these things differently enough in a way that it affects us um, that, you know, there's something that maybe we can learn from this. Definitely. And I think, Izzy, your chapters kind of came from 12-week year, like the, they're 12 weeks long, right? Um, but you might be changing that? I did take chapters from the 12-week year, the idea of planning on that medium time scale longer than a week or a month, but shorter than a year has been something I found really valuable for understanding time. You mentioned that you don't really understand the passage of time. I admit I don't either. I've heard it described as time blindness, and it's something that's pretty common in people with ADHD, mm -hmm. which we all have. <laughs> and it's so easy for me to lose so much time to losing so much time. It's ridiculous, layers upon layers. <laughs> but having a little bit more structure over how far out I'm looking helps me to 
book things so that as I'm passing through time unaware of it, I can still get to the things that I need to be doing then. So I'm probably going to be reducing chapters from 12 to 10 weeks because 12 weeks has ended up being a little bit long for me. And I chose the name chapter for that period of time because it is inherently flexible in how long it is. I really feel like time should be something that fits to us, not the other way around. I agree with that. And when you first came up with the idea of chapter, you actually suggested it to me as well, because I was dealing with the year was too long. Um, I needed a new theme after only about four months into the year. And you said, why don't you make your next theme a chapter? Because chapters are not all the same length. You can have one that is, you know, 10 pages long and you can have one that's two. And I was that really resonated with me. Um, and I did, in fact, go with a theme that was a chapter, but I switched over to seasons um, recently because to me, a season isn't defined by the weather outside in a way that probably does not make sense to a lot of people. But um, so I'm kind of thinking of it in a, a seasonal way, as in like, this is the season of change. This is the season of, um, you know, it's just like a, a period of time in the same way that a chapter is a period of time that can stretch or grow, um, stretch and grow or or shrink. And um, it's just going to cover however long I need that season to be around. It's, um, it's going to be interesting because I don't know, Rose, how long my seasons are. And I know that you were hoping <laughs> to talk about lengths of time, but I have no idea. Um, this one started a little bit ago and it seems like it's going to be stretching. I think that is kind of the point with this though, isn't it? Like that these things have to be able to stretch or flex to accommodate our needs because I, I mean, this is one thing I know I've struggled with at work. Somebody saying, well, how, how long do you think, like, how much effort do you think this thing is? Um, we use story pointing. It's an agile concept instead of saying, like, I think this is going to take me three hours. Um, we, we calculate, you know, a number of points based on various different things. Um, and, um, you know, that is always a, a, an interesting thing because how long I think something is going to take me doesn't necessarily factor in for the, ooh, shiny, um, which, you know, semi-frequently happens when I'm not 100% focused. Um, but also, it doesn't necessarily account for things like, oh, hey, I found a problem, um, which, you know, that always happens with these things. But, count, you know, we're often asked, like, how much time? And that is a question. Yeah, one of the reasons that I always set a length at the start of a chapter is... Not to say that whatever I've set out to, to do will be done then, but to give myself an explicit point to stop and review and see were the strategies I picked for making progress towards this goal the right strategies. Questions like that. And to stop and look at the progress I've made and see if I want to keep moving in that direction or if it's time to pivot or if it's time to start doing something else or to add things on. And so I, I think. There's huge value in having something like a season that can go on as long as it needs to. And I think it really comes down to how you find those times to check in with what you're doing and looking at if it lines up with what you want to be doing. And if, uh, for me, I find that having explicit bookends that I've created for myself which I know is something you've talked about on nested folders before, Rose, is something that gives me a lot more ability to do that than if I had just 
set a goal at the beginning of the year and said, this year I will do X. Yeah, that is definitely something that I am aware of. Hence, you know, my my kind my my update kind of just being like I'm doing a, a lot of review because I've realized that I really do need to be asking myself questions, not on how much progress have you made. I'm not doing a SWOT analysis of my life or anything like that. I just need to be basically checking in with myself to see if I'm feeling good about the things that I thought I was going to be doing stuff on on a more regular basis than just, you know, sure, I'll check in, I guess. And then before you know it, oh, wait, it's November? It's December? Wait, what happened? Like, it wasn't it January like three minutes ago? I've been working on this for a whole year, only you feel like then you haven't, or at least I feel like I haven't, because I haven't checked in enough, which hasn't forced me to, you know, look at things, um, as you said, Izzy, and review it and ask these questions of, you know, am I making progress on this? Do I need to pivot? Or something. Yes, I agree that review, con- uh, well, I was going to say constant review. Don't constantly be reviewing because then you're not doing. Mm-hmm. But I think that having a check in where you review whether your goals are being met or your, um, your, you know, your desires is very important. And I think the reason that I go with a more loosey goosey type of season for when I'm determining how long something's going to take take me is that. Those long periods, like 10 weeks, 12 weeks of the year, um, even a month, they're just too long for my brain. Um, I personally think best in smaller increments like hours, days, and weeks. So I actually am reviewing my progress or my not progress in like how close am I to done, but how am I feeling about this theme or, or this project or whatever about once a week, maybe once a month if I've put it aside for a little bit. But I'm I'm constantly, not constantly, but very, very regularly asking myself that question. Um, so I think, yeah, review at the end of a longer period is very important. But if you can't think in longer periods, do it more often. Yeah. Uh, to me, thinking that next month is December doesn't, it doesn't even calculate. No. Like I just, no. the next thing that's coming up is Thanksgiving and that's all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is at the time of recording, it's not far away at all. Um, no. Yeah. I think this is the thing for me. You know, I, I also like, like you mentioned, Izzy, definitely suffer from time blindness where I genuinely don't realize how long I've been spending on something. I realized today at work, I've been on the same thing for six weeks. No wonder I am feeling a little burnt out and so on. But also every time something comes up related to it, I have to hop on it and do it immediately because we've got to ship it. Like we're getting to the point where it's, you know, pretty much there. But if it takes me three hours before I get to something, then that's three hours that other people couldn't be doing things that they needed to be doing on this. So there is a certain amount of urgency added by a deadline. And that can be both really useful because it's forcing me to be really good at stopping what I'm doing, chopping, changing, and so on. I'm, I've been deliberately assigned and selected uh, other things that I can relatively easily hop in and out of because otherwise switching my brain backwards and forwards would be completely breaking everything. Um, but you know, having that that deadline is adding a sense of urgency, but that is not without a certain element of stress. And I think deadlines definitely come into this. And especially for me, arbitrary fake deadlines, they, they don't work. I say, I have to do X tomorrow or by, t- by the end of tomorrow. And then my brain, most of tomorrow will be going, but do you really? Like, really, really? <laughs> really, really? I don't think you need to do that. No, you're good. And then three weeks later, I've still not done the thing. It only takes two minutes to do, but because I put a fake deadline on it, it doesn't get done. And like, I, brains are weird, people. Brains are weird. <laughs> I am 
so good at ignoring fake deadlines. It's not even funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like my brain Same. can look at a list of tasks with deadlines and it knows which ones are fake. And actually, that's kind of the whole point of a productivity system, right? So that your brain doesn't have to keep hold of that information, which is one of the reasons why I've given up with the fake deadlines. Because it's like my brain is holding on to this information that this is not real. I'm, yep. I'm just giving up on that. <laughs> I kind of have a weird relationship with due dates as well in that they don't actually make me do things on time. They just make me procrastinate until the last possible second. Mm-hmm. And then I stress myself out and I rush through it and I don't do a good job and all that stuff. And fake due dates operate on like operate on me in the same way, except I realize that they're fake and then I just ignore them. And not just fake due dates I come up with, but like fake due dates from my coworkers. Like, oh, we need this done by the end of October. Um, Did you really? Because it's November 16th and I have not finished it so it's probably fine like i i think you're lying (laughs) um and yeah so due dates and my brain realizing that fake due dates are well fake um it just yeah i can't i can't operate under them i just get stressed out and then i second guess myself and i miss real deadlines like you know taxes are due in april or whatever i've never Mm. missed that one but (laughs) yeah yeah that is definitely you know, the ripple effect, right, from mm-hmm. being so used to ignoring a fake deadline that it just ripples out into all the real deadlines. And then, oh, dang it. One thing that kind of branches off of this um, is that I don't know if y'all do this, but my brain will sometimes come up with fake deadlines without me realizing they're fake. Like, I have to get this thing done before I go on vacation, but I really don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens to you. Um, I think. I was going to a wedding earlier in the year, you know, all safe, all vaccinated. And I was like, I have to get these 17 things done. And our friend Kathy was like, "Uh, Maddie, why? Mm -hmm. I don't think you actually do. I think you just need to pack. And I was like, but, 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 and she's like, no, no, write them down and then actually look at them. None of them are due before you get on that airplane. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. And my brain does this all the time. Does that happen to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So both of you, pointed to work deadlines as a source of stress. And I'm just curious to unpack that a little bit. Because something that's really interesting, I guess, about time is that there's a huge overlap in time between the personal and the political. That for most of us, the thing that has the most demands on our time is our job. And we end up structuring the entirety of the time we have around that job, when we sleep, when we eat, when we get up in the morning, when we have energy to have activities in our free time, when we go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And like time and how we talk about it is political and cultural, that Perception of time is very cultural. Standardizing time has erased alternative perception of time from other cultures as the legacy of colonialism and imperialism continues to take its toll on the world. And the schedules we keep today are really built around employers' convenience and not like our needs as people working and living. And that kind of timekeeping is incredibly modern as far as inventions go. And it's not just at work either. It's also starts as soon as we're in school. I mean, this was always a bugbear to me that teenagers 
biologically need more sleep than Mm -hmm. toddlers and children. And yet they're the ones who are waking up at 5 a.m. Personally, that was when I was had to wake up to catch the bus at six to go to school at seven and to come home at 3 p.m. When me, my brothers, most of my friends, that's poor grammar, but you know what I mean? We were all waking up at like 11 on the weekends when we could choose to. And mm-hmm. it's like, why can't society shift? Like, yeah. I don't mind coming home at 6 p.m. if you really need me in school for that long, but I don't think you really need me in school for that long. <laughs> and my younger uh, my younger friend who was in elementary school when we were in middle school was always up before us anyway. Why isn't he going to the why isn't he going to school early? He's already awake. I don't understand it. But yeah, time is forced on us in this really strange way. Yeah. And let's face it, school hours are based around the fact that it's convenient for parents to drop their kids off at those times because they need to be present nine till five because that's what some employer has decided is right for them. I'm very fortunate um, when I was looking for a new job, I did pick somewhere deliberately. They don't have a super flexi time policy, but equally, if I want to duck out an hour early and come in an hour early or just stay an hour late another day, that's something I can do. And I, it's not something that, you know, if I'm not taking an entire afternoon off or something, then I, I don't really need to necessarily bring up with somebody. I start half an hour early, I finish half an hour early. Nobody really minds. And I think that that is something that we perhaps need to be better at looking for in general, because that means that, you know what, it's not convenient for me to work until five today. I won't. I will work when it suits me. I saw some maps that were really interesting, which were plotting the average amount of sleep per day that American adults get. And on the same map, it showed distribution by race and income as well as deaths per capita from coronavirus. And race, income, amount of sleep are all hugely interconnected, but also each individually caused more deaths from coronavirus. And so the places where people were getting the least sleep were Black neighborhoods. And we know that lack of sleep I'm saying this here as a person who is very much not a biologist or a doctor. We know that lack of sleep reduces the efficacy of the immune system and Mm -hmm. reduces our ability to have careful reasoning. And both of those make us more likely to get and then have severe complications from a pandemic. (laughs) And so time and who has access to it at least in the States and worldwide, is very much divided along class and racial lines. The other thing which I've read frequently, because um, when I was um, at university, I got very into looking at um, the multi-phase sleep system where you could break your sleep down. And there are people doing crazy things like sleeping for four blocks of 20 minutes throughout a day. And the one thing that I came across time and time again is, first of all, nobody knows how that really pans out long term because nobody's ever actually managed to do that kind of crazy sleep schedule um, for a seriously long time and been under super, uh, like, you know, medical supervision. So don't try this at home, please, people. Um, But, you know, there are different kinds of sleep patterns which work better. There's biphasic sleep, there's the siesta where you take a nap in the afternoon and things like that. But the one thing that came up time and time again when I was looking at this is, not getting enough sleep makes you function like you're drunk. Basically, you've lost control of your faculties, but you don't feel like it. 
Like if you were to go out and have a couple of cocktails, say, you probably go, oh, wow, yeah, I'm quite tipsy or I'm inebriated. But continually waking up every day after just six hours of sleep has the same effect. And at some point, you can't catch up on sleep anymore. Your body just can't. And so you've lost that. And it can lead to things like a reduced life, uh, lifespan, which is, you know, not a fun possible consequence. Um, and as somebody who has insomnia, I'm frequently there staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night going, huh, I wonder what this is going to do to me, uh, which is always a fun conversation to be having with yourself at three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep. That that definitely puts you right to sleep there. But it is amazing how big an impact time and our ability to utilize it to our personal best is controlled completely by others and how how wide that impact is. There's a concept that's really interesting in sleep called a chronotype, which basically suggests that people have different times of the day that make the most sense for them to sleep during. And it's pretty easy to figure out what yours is if you can get enough time off work to do it. Because you just need to sleep without an alarm clock whenever you want to for about two weeks until you naturally fall into a sleep schedule. But that's not really something most of us can do. How many of us can just take two weeks off of work to do that? And it's a shame because really the only good alarm clock is sleeping in. Two points off of that. We have a friend, uh, Kyle, who basically did what you said, Izzy. He took two weeks off of work and found out that, you know, if he goes to bed by a certain time, he's always up by a certain time and his body has just found its schedule and he lives by that schedule. And I think it's amazing. Luckily for him, it, you know, fits into his employer's timetable. So he doesn't have to try to flex time his way out of that. But also like I am a adult woman who takes a nap on any day that I don't have to report my time to people. And I need one at about 1 p.m. every single day. And I know that about myself, but that's not something I can do because four out of seven days of the week, I'm reporting my time to people. (laughs) Uh, I think this is something where having uh, some flexibility with employment can be incredibly good, especially with the increase in remote work and work from home, because I would hope that you would be able on the days where you really, really need it to function, that you could potentially flex some time maybe eat lunch at your desk or something so that you could also take some of a nap and then be able to function because this is the thing with time, right? We're expected to make the most of it. And whatever that means for you, whether that means reading as many books as possible or enjoying playing with your cats or producing great works of art or sailing or just being happy, you know, if you are not able to utilize your time in a way that genuinely results in happiness, then that I think is a problem, which is why time periods and, you know, deadlines or non-existent deadlines or fake deadlines are so interesting to us because they control how we live, but that it doesn't always necessarily produce great results. Yeah. And in there, it, it occurs to me that time really is full of a lot of double standards that we're expected both to be, especially in the United States, always on the grind, but also making time for self-care, that we both really valorize lack of sleep. Think of any college student who stayed up all night studying for an exam and how that is seen almost as a good thing. And at the same time, when people show signs of being tired, we judge that really hardly, that 
employees who might yawn during a retail shift will be chastised for it. How do we separate ourselves from this whole mess is, I don't know, I'm still working on it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still in the phase where I want 27 hours in the day to get everything done or, you know, a time machine or something. Um, I, I still haven't figured out how to not try to fill every hour of my day. Oh, you missed the pro tip the other day. Drink five five-hour energy drinks in a day, and then you've broken the space-time continuum, and you have as many hours in a day as you need. Oh, God. Never do that. Um, no. 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 I, I, just to be clear, this is a sarcastic piece of advice. Please don't take it. <laughs> that many energy drinks is just not good for you, and it will not re- result in 27 hours in a day or 25 hours in a day. It's going to result in you probably just at the very least having an elevated heart rate for some time and a massive sugar rush and that's just not good yeah but but the fact that things like energy drinks and stuff exist as a way to help us work more effectively says a lot of things about society and the world in general but i have to say i think there are ways that we can divide our time up into interesting blocks that work for us And especially, as you said, Maddie, with the regular check-ins and so on of how do you feel about this and is it your very definite bookends to your your larger time periods? Mm -hmm. I think that both of those are where I need to go. And I probably already knew that, but hearing somebody else say that helped. Often you need someone else to tell you the obvious thing for it to actually become obvious. So Yes, that's why common sense is not common. (laughs) One one last thought I had that... uh, I don't remember who told told me this, but time as a general concept is both finite and infinite at the same time because we as people only have so many hours in our day, but our lifespans are a lot longer than they feel sometimes. At my age, I constantly freak out about not having enough time to do everything that ever interests me. And it's like, I've got decades left, at, uh, you know, in a good lifespan. Um, and that anxiety around time feeling urgent about fitting things in can just be very overwhelming. I mean, I think I have a a way to end uh, today's show, which is uh, a quote from Douglas Adams. Time is an illusion. Lunchtime, double Lisa. (laughs) Uh, in the meantime this has been above the mess and you can find us in all of your favorite podcast players and of course at above the mess.com i'm rosemary orchard i can be found at rosemaryorchard.com izzy miller can be found at stardust.fm and maddie can be found at flexpotential.com we'll be back in two weeks yay